and welcome back to the for many people strengths podcast i am not jamie i am his brother matthew nugavara coming to you from i'm in uh, suburban toronto and uh yeah jamie is uh otherwise indisposed let's see i'm chipping in uh subbing in uh, for uncle duties as jamie attends to the latest member of the nugabauer clan or the the most recent member of the nugabauer clan i should say um but i am joined as always we do have regina presence from uh from matt Gurley. we got a uh matt and matt podcast matt how are you doing doing great how are you doing matt i'm doing pretty well about to be uh uncle squared um and we are of course diving into the latest uh especially the, the overall the latest window in the canadian men's national team world cup qualifying specifically the game against mexico uh that was on tuesday night in edmonton alberta uh somewhat frigid not so frigid we'll see um let, let's get to that so so girly you were there uh of course all the hype was around the conditions and how cold it was going to be it was going to be snowing and we windy it was going to be a snowstorm there was a bit of a snow dump earlier in the day uh what was it like actually in the stadium and then of course the atmosphere with the fans tell us the truth <laughs> well I, I will say it was more than just a little bit of a dump it was almost 24 straight hours of snow so it was uh it was a lot of snow at the end of the day um and waking up on match day morning and tuesday it was uh, it was really windy and it was pretty miserable out so um Definitely a bit of a shock when you saw Mexicans around the city. They looked um, not very impressed. But as the day wore on, uh, the temperature got a little bit colder, but the wind really dropped. And um, we were in the stadium at 1.30 uh, setting up flags for the uh, Voyageurs section. And um, it was pretty chilly. But by time kickoff rolled around, I thought it was relatively comfortable. I mean, uh, it's, it's all relative, but um, there was numerous people that took their shirts off in the section. Most didn't take them off for long, but uh, there was one guy that just go shirtless the entire second half. Um, so it was it was cold, but you know, I I was thought my feet would be frozen, which often happens with me if I'm outside at a at a game, you know, in minus ten weather kind of thing. And they really weren't, and uh, the snow was still kind of in the. Uh, in the rows there. So you were kind of in the snow as it was standing. So, um, you know, even still, um, relatively comfortable, but everyone was wearing lots of layers were prepared. Um, I, I did notice that Alistair Johnston, uh, obviously went, went sleeveless and didn't have his legs very covered either, but he, uh, he went sprinting to the locker room at halftime pretty <laughs> quick. So I don't think that's a coincidence, but, um, and, you know, the Mexicans were late coming out for the warm-ups and late coming out at halftime, though, of course, there was a reason for that. But um, uh, when they did come out, a lot of them were wearing short sleeves and stuff. So um, I think they tried to show that it wasn't bothering them. I don't know if it really did bother them, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard to know. It's I think all things considered, the, the match wasn't too badly affected by the weather. Um, but, you know, the lore of the Ice Teca is going to live on mm-hmm. forever with that and the the snow celebration at Akumi jumping into the uh into the snow bank and I do have to say people throwing snow into the air after a goal is way more preferable <laughs> than people throwing beer into the air after a goal so for that reason alone I, I quite enjoyed it mm-hmm. and on that note uh you know the the story we tend to lead off with when we have home games what was the crowd like what was it like being part of that wall of voyagers down at Commonwealth Stadium I mean it was it was great um Certainly the section was more full for Costa Rica. There was a lot of people who just couldn't get to Edmonton. Um, 
I know the road of the Yellowhead was closed in certain sections. Getting from Calgary was very difficult. So, um, and obviously it was a Tuesday night as opposed to a Friday. So um, it wasn't quite as packed as it, as it had been, but obviously it being Mexico and the match was better. Uh, the atmosphere is pretty cracking. And, um, you know, especially at 2 nil, you know, people that were sort of sitting on their hands, you know, early in the match were bouncing up and down in other sections of the stadium. So uh, you could see that people maybe didn't go to a lot of soccer matches um, or were just sort of, you know, sports fans in general really were getting into the atmosphere uh, as Canada started to assert themselves. So that was pretty fun. And then, uh, you know, it was, the Mexicans were in this really opposite corner to where, where we were as most Canadians supporters were, but um, uh, certainly when they scored, uh, they were pretty loud. So, you know, at that last few minutes, they were definitely making a lot of noise as well. So um, pretty good atmosphere. And I think, uh, I mean, it's always fun, uh, fun in Edmonton. Uh, one interesting thing that I was going to mention, um, there was a one soccer panel the night before the match. And I don't think this has been reported much, but um, someone asked a question that there was a rumor that one soccer turned down the sound in the Costa Rica broadcast to maybe um, play mind games with Mexico, that the atmosphere wasn't very good or something, which actually doesn't make much sense to me because I don't know why mm-hmm. Mexico would be intimidated by the atmosphere, but I think they wanted to surprise them. Um, and someone from One Soccer um, didn't totally confirm that, but definitely didn't deny it. So mm-hmm. I know a lot of people were saying it seemed quiet in, in Commonwealth for the Costa Rica match, and people that were there were surprised by that. So um, I will say that if you thought that the Mexico match seemed significantly loud or anything in the Costa Rica, I don't think that's really the case. Um, it was pretty loud for the Costa Rica match in the stadium as well. So it was good atmosphere for both with uh, really good support in Edmonton. Definitely a, a great advertisement for the city, for the passion for this game that has just sprung to life over the, la- over the last year. Of course, looking forward to 2022, but um, another big story there, looking forward to 2026 with people from FIFA on hand. Of course, uh, we won't have a World Cup in Edmonton in November in 2026. But, we, you know, I, I know for a fact Alberta in the summer is beautiful. Uh, so getting to the game itself, um, uh, the plan is to go kind of half by half and, and chronologically here a little bit. Uh, I want to talk, first of all, the thing that stood out to me in the first half, at least the first part of the first half, was, uh, I mean, the, the conditions made it a little rough to tell, but... Uh, Daniil Henry specifically really pushing that line, sending Mexico a message, the Mexican attackers a message that he wasn't going to take anything from anyone. Um, gets gets the yellow card, gets steps a little bit over the line, and then uh, you know, I think it was around the 37th minute he uh, John Herbin makes the strange, weird defensive sub. I think there might have been a bit of an injury comment there, but. Um, it definitely expresses the, the overall mindset of what I've been saying about the, this Canada team, Canada back three, back two, back three of uh, largely Henry or, uh, you know, you have um, Kamal Miller in there. And of course, I'm going to get to Alistair Johnston in a minute. Um, the, you know, the very, the, the very tough where this isn't a soft core anymore. Um so Daniel Henry expressing that a little over the line and then of course getting sub for Steven Vittoria in the 37th minute. I thought that was an interesting choice. I thought 
it was helpful. I mean, I think Vitoria is I'm not thinking. I mean, Vitoria does have more experience playing in Portugal. Um, he, he is a little cooler of a head, <laughs> I should say. And uh, yeah, definitely contributed to more of a solidity. You don't want a center back being on a yellow like that, being able to still be free to make more riskier challenges that paid off uh, in, in the long run. Although again, credit to Daniel Henry for stepping up and uh, going for it. Uh, Gurley, I'll ask you, I'll ask you what you thought of uh, the first half up and in, just in, not including the goal, but uh, the first half overall and Daniel Henry's play and that sub and uh, anything else that stood out to you there. Yeah. Uh, you know, looking at the team, um, you know, Kyle Aaron going in and, and not starting Jonathan David was, was a choice that um, was interesting. Uh, you know, certainly at the time felt it might be a match that's a little bit scrappier and might be better suited to someone with a little more physicality, a bit more of a, uh, an aerial presence, um, you know, type player like Laren, as opposed to, to a David, though they're both pretty good goal poachers. Um, and, you know, I, if, if, if the was capable of playing 90 back-to-back matches, I think he would have, I think there was obviously, um, a concern about him being able to hold up. Uh, he, he, I don't think he started back-to-back matches so far in qualifying. Um, so he's in a similar situation with Tiba Hutchinson in that, that regard, um, I, I couldn't help think of uh, Graham Leggett, who, you know, someone would come to the back of uh, their guy early in a match and he would be, you know, full of praise for, you know, getting stuck in and letting them know you're there and not letting those to be an easy day kind of thing. And, and Daniel certainly sent that message mm-hmm. to Chucky Lozano by flattening him, you know, less than a minute into the match. But I thought, you know, it's not the eighties anymore. That's, I was amazed that wasn't a yellow card. Um, but, you know, it, it's a tone setter and you're able to get away with it, which he did more or less. Um, you know, it uh, I think it kind of helped set a tone. And, um, you know, Lozano went out at halftime as well. As you noted, I think Henry had a little bit of a knock. But, um, I mean, he when he finally did get his yellow, I don't think it was that much of a foul, but he had certainly earned it. It was coming. And so you're just thinking, you know, one more hard foul, he could get sent off. So, um yeah, it's uh, when I saw um, Stephen Vittoria warming up. To be honest, I was like, okay, good. This is <laughs> this. Uh, I thought it might be halftime, but I realized it's probably before half. This is fine. Um, I'm glad Vittoria can can put in a shift. Uh, Daniel, you know, was fine. Didn't make any mistakes, but um, you know, Daniel brings a lot of intensity and a lot of physicality. And sometimes you need to kneel back down at a seven or an eight, not mm-hmm. a ten. And he was definitely. Um, absolutely jacked up to start with. And so I, you know, um, in terms of the, the, the first half, um, you know, Canada looked like they took a bit of a page from the U S's book with having sort of two, two wingers on both sides, looking potentially for overloads with, you know, Davies and Etikubi on the left and then Larray Buchanan on the right. And I didn't think they really got the kind of vertical passing they needed to, to pull that off, but I thought Mexico did a really good job with kind of having that, that, Three, four, three, five, you know, five, two, three kind of formation of having the wing backs, but then having Arojo and uh, Vasquez there um, out wide as well, sort of be able to double up in those wide positions. And um, they did a really good job in the wide areas of not letting some pretty dangerous Canadian attackers hurt them. And then, of course, uh, we'll get to the goal, but, you know, it came right down the middle to give away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I thought there was space in the middle to attack, but um, Canada seemed a little bit hesitant to kind of 
go that direction, obviously you want to you want to make sure your your sound of the back, and you know you don't want Estacchio or Hutchinson marauding too far forward and leaving you know the back line a little bit exposed with some dangerous attackers from Mexico. Yeah, and uh, um, what I noticed all game is you know, we try to uh, hoof the ball forward. I think that was thanks to conditions. Didn't think playing uh, kind of a the the intricate tiki taka ground ball would have would have worked as well but i think also thanks to the conditions the ball just didn't carry or didn't carry in the way milan borian and, and the back line making those long ball clearances would have hoped so yeah as as you point out you know it was first of all yeah i mean richie was able to get forward a little bit fonzie uh not so much not as involved and we'll we'll get to maybe him in a little bit uh onto that goal though um I mean, I mean, what more can I say about Alistair Johnston? You know, hop on board the uh, the hype train because you know it is in buckler seats because it's going to turn into a hype rocket. Um, having the presence of mind to step up to notice another long ball that was going to be a little errant, uh, he steps up, snags it from from the, the Mexican midfielder, wires a beautiful shot on target right into Memo Ochoa's palms but who in an angle that he has to drop the rebound for Kyle Aaron who cools you like it 45 plus two slots it in um again you know I'm going to focus on just the the presence of mind that Alistair has both on both sides of the ball he he I I just to, to to think about his game a little more it is he he's kind of this hard to categorize because he uh I mean for Nashville he sets up wide for the Canadian national team, he either sets up on the right side of the three or he could set up wide as well. But he's definitely more of a defensive-minded fullback of, of the old school in an age where, of course, we have someone like Richie and, and Tejan Buchanan getting forward and Ponzi, of course, being the corner-to-corner fullback. When Alistair Johnston gets forward, it is more likely where we saw him in that assist on the goal, where he gets more forward centrally. Uh, both for Nashville and for Canada, uh, adding that number in, in into the midfield to some extent, which we can do when we have a back three, because uh, then you have Victoria and Miller basically subbing it as, as a back two, just in case as a break. Of course, Johnson does have to get back on the break when he needs to. Um, beautiful shot on target that Laren slots home again, cool as you like. Uh, what, what, you thought, what were your thoughts on the goal there? It just to go back to Johnston, um, uh, you know, well, first time I saw him as the Voyagers Cup playing for uh, Oakville Blue Devils, and he was playing as a number six and just, you know, <laughs> right. getting into every tackle. And I, you know, I loved the right from then. I, I, I never saw him being a starter for the national team in two years, I can tell you that. But um, you just look at the first time you see him, just the energy and the enthusiasm and the, uh, and the quality as well. But um, yeah, uh, great read and, uh, it's funny, I thought Nestor Araujo, who was suspended for the U.S. game, came back and, and had a decent match, but, um, you know, it was his sort of errant ball to sort of aimlessly hoofed centrally. Then Orville and Pineda was just kind of standing there waiting for it, and Johnston got in front of Pineda and beat him to the ball, and then no one really reacted and let Johnston run down and have a shot. And I'm glad, you know, we were sort of talking about that in the stadium. Um, you know, bad conditions, have a go. Like, no one was really shooting it. From you know, times we had you know a few chances, sort of edge of the area, just have a pop, see what happens. And 
Um, obviously, a pretty good hit by Johnston, and uh, you know, Memo Ochoa needs to do better there. Obviously, um, the Mexicans are still ro- roasting for that, but um, curious to think of, of, of if the weather conditions and or the field had a, had a big role in, in Ochoa spilling that. Mm. But um, obviously, they, they didn't train uh, on the field at all, so you have very little time to prepare and kind of get used to what the surface might be like. And you know, it took a nasty hop right in front of them, but you need better hands from that at that stage. But then, you know, great reaction by Laren. But again, Araujo was the guy kind of not reacting fast enough because when, when he first dropped it, I just thought, oh, the Mexican defender will get there. And he just didn't. Laren just, you know, swooped in and, and finished quite well. So, but uh, obviously that's, you know, if you're going to pick a time to get a goal to, to open the scoring that late in the first half, it just kind of gave a wave of momentum and, you know, prompted a double switch and a formational change for Mexico to start the second half. So uh, you couldn't really ask for more than Canada was able to carry that momentum, obviously, into the start of the second half. Mm-hmm. And moving into that second half, then uh, I thought throughout that, that uh, the, the second 45, my, my thought was Canada's really warming into this game, right? It, it doesn't, the, the way we were moving the ball, the way we were getting organized defensively, it didn't seem like the conditions were making things uncomfortable. Um, a lot more intricate play, a lot more uh, play along the wings as well. And then uh, fairly early into the second half, we have uh, a free kick, another in-swinger chaos, Kyle Laren unmarked. What a beautiful first touch volley right into the back of the net. Um, again, the, what more can we say about Kyle Laren who uh, – you know, we weren't sure a few years ago, but he's turned it on. He uh, is up, I believe, you know, the top of the charts for goals in World Cup qualifying this year, uh, letting it up, I believe, for Besiktas and uh, and contributing. And as we see the second goal, very clean, crisp finish, able to evade all the defenders and or, or get out from that coverage. Maybe from Mexico standpoint, you see, oh, that was a, a dropping coverage on that free kick, but uh, in sooner chaos, it, it it makes chances happen, and Kyle Aaron is able to bury his was able to bury his second for the brace early in that second half. Um, throughout the half, uh, and we can get back to the goal in a minute. But throughout the half, again, I, I I you know would be able to say wouldn't be able to say Mexico was the better team. Canada was the better team. Bring it to them more comfortable again with the cold, but um, you know th- this does look like i think uh in the preview to this game jamie was saying mexico the wounded animal whereas canada on the ascendancy um we we saw that especially in that second half even though yes hector herrera 90th minute goal um flurry of chances at the very end that milan borian coming up huge especially on the goal line um mexico yeah it isn't going to go down quietly but there's there just seems to be no team in CONCACAF that Canada can be afraid of anymore, especially, again, after this performance, after the second half, uh, where we, we came out and took it to them. Um, Gurley, what are your thoughts on Carol Aaron's second goal and on the half as a whole and then on the finish to the game? Well, I guess to start with, even before the goal, Canada had a great chance with Buchanan and Davies mm-hmm. where Buchanan was able to seal the ball again from Araujo, like a... Uh, he didn't make many mistakes, but he made a couple of glaring ones. Um, and, you know, Buchanan should have released Davies earlier and then didn't, then didn't shoot. And, you know, it was sort of, 
there was a few chances like that in the break where it would have been uh, would have been nice to see see them make the right pass at the right time to to finish it and get a third ultimately. But um, and of course, Richie Larea looked like he was off to the races and got pulled back, and that wasn't even cautioned. But um, the, uh, the 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 inability to finish some of those chances in the counter when you you have the other team pressing, I think, is something that we're um, one small area of improvement that you know you'd like to see from Canada moving forward, especially with the sort of dynamic attackers they have. Um, in terms of the goal, obviously, it's great to carry the momentum forward to get that second goal, let everyone relax a little bit, make Mexico kind of press even more, which you know played into Canada's hands in terms of getting more chances to the counter. It was a great ball by Estacio. That should say really well done by Laren to just kind of get to the right position, no panic, no, you know, just cushion it into the side of the net. Really, really cool finish, um, which is what he's known for. He's, he's a great finisher. Uh, Mexico, you know, as you say, dropped the coverage. No one picked up that run. They were really fixated on uh, Stephen Vittori at the back post. But also, you know, I mean, it was a quality free kick that, you know, the Estacchio put in, you know, it, it ended up being pretty close to the, to the net ultimately when it went in, which makes you think Ochoa really should have gone for that and been able to at least punch it before it reached Laren. But just the quality of the service made that uh, pretty difficult. I know, uh, I know probably the duo over Ochoa would love to have, have come for that and tried to make a play for it before it reached Laren because at that point there's nothing you can do. But um, yeah, great to get that 2 0 goal. And we talk, you talk about a wounded animal, you know, you sort of expect a big response from Mexico. Uh, you know, they didn't really provide it that much to start the half and then down to nil, you thought, well, are they going to really, you know, come at us? And they, I, I thought Canada really had a good, you know, 20 minutes there where they were in control and Mexico wasn't really creating much. And there was a few dangerous kind of balls across the face of gold. Borean handled relatively easily. And, you know, I thought Canada had the more dangerous chances to go three nil up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I, uh, Jonathan David gets, uh, gets gets hit and gets gets injured and subbed out and then uh, Davies went off and I, I think it was you almost you know we talked that you know Alfonso probably didn't have his best match uh, I thought he had a better match than he did against Costa Rica he didn't um he didn't create a ton but he also kept things moving and there's more mm-hmm. space for everyone whenever it's so focused on him and as soon as he went out it felt like Mexico just almost relaxed and felt like they could play again. It was amazing to see how their approach and their ability to attack almost completely changed as soon as he left the field. And I, you know, it's, it, you don't think of a side like Mexico being that, um, I don't want to say scared or worried, but you know, they seem very fixated on him. As soon as he left, they seem much more comfortable. So um, the Alfonso Davies effect is real, even when he's not <laughs> um, scoring a bunch of goals. Yeah. Um, he certainly is in their heads and, um, you know, I that might have been a match where you you, you let Fonzie play the last ten minutes because um, uh, the last five minutes was extremely uncomfortable once that goal went in. And and credit to Milan Borian, um, we've talked a lot over the last few uh, windows about you know Milan Borian versus Max Crepo. And I mean, I love Max Crepo. I think he was snubbed for a nomination at least for goalkeeper of the year in MLS. I think he's fantastic. I don't think there's a real number two here. It's kind of one A one B. You can see why Milan Borian should be the starter. I, I've mm-hmm. been on that camp from day one. Um, he's, he's a tremendous keeper. He makes big saves at big times. He doesn't came under the pressure. And I'm not saying Crapo would. And I'm not even knowing saying Crapo wouldn't have made those saves. But 
Um, Borja made two huge, huge saves to, you know, rescue two points, which, I mean, that would have been incredibly deflating to not pull out a result after that performance because it was fully deserved. And um, so it was, it was, it was, it was nervy at the end, but uh, a fully deserved three points. I mean, I, I, there isn't a question in my mind, frankly, about, uh, I think there is a one and a two, uh, no, no disrespect to Crepo at all. Incredibly capable, incredibly talented back there, especially in the October window. Borjan's leadership, uh, his, his ability to organize, his ability to motivate and to make the big saves and keep his head cool in the game. Uh, just, you know, pretty much necessary back there when he's healthy and when he can make it. Again, it, if we want rotation, then Crepo, I, I mean, I'm not uncomfortable with Crepo coming in, who, again, great in the October window. Um, the, these last two games really showing why Borjan has become, I mean, he's he's up there better than, I mean, I, Craig Forrest would probably be the first person to say, oh yeah, Borjan's better than me. Um, the best keeper in, in Canadian history as, as part of this wider movement of the best moment in Canadian men's soccer history. Uh, one, uh, two last points I want to make. You, know, you mentioned about, about Davies and he had a far better team game this time around than he did against Costa Rica. He did was able to move the ball. He was able to distract defenders as uh, the play was elsewhere. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the, the attention that, that opposing players give to him, Mexico gave him that attention. They were able to close him off a little, but that left Tejan and, uh, and uh, Kyle Laren and the, the, this team attack wide open, not wide open, able to, to make more plays. Um, so yeah, a better team game for Fonzie, which is fine, which is okay. This is a team sport and I'd much rather see him uh, contribute to the team. Yes. There's some points where like the game in, in Toronto against Panama, where he contributed to the team by taking over the game. He tried to do that again against Costa Rica, as you guys mentioned uh, last week, and it didn't really pull off uh, against Mexico. He, yeah, he was an understudy, not an understudy, second fiddle to, to the whole team as a, uh, as an attacking unit and a defending unit. He was able to track back there as well. Uh, another point, um, Steven Estacchio, that, that winning goal, very reminiscent in some ways of, or I guess even all three goals that we've scored this window, fairly similar. Again, I wonder if that's a bit the conditions, you know, launching the ball in. I know for Estacchio, the goal against Costa Rica was from open play. Um, the winning goal against Mexico was from a free kick, but very similar ideas of, of with, with Alistair Johnston, knocking the ball in, forcing a rebound, forcing some sort of chaos. Estacchio uh, has been, uh, a great highlight, a great co- contributor to this team as well, but from both sides of the ball. And uh, I wanted to mention, uh, m- mention that. Um, guess any, any last thoughts on the, on this window on the Mexico game or uh, are we ready to, to look forward? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm glad you highlighted Estacchio. I thought that was one of his, his top matches. Uh, I was in Sam Atacubi had another great match in yes. the, you know, as someone who I, I wasn't necessarily sure would play both matches. I mean, I wasn't sure he'd play either match, but uh, after his bad match performance in Costa Rica, it was good to see him rewarded. Um, you know, Kamal Miller quietly had two good matches. 
you know, Atiba obviously broke the broke the record for cap appearances and uh, you know had himself a day as well. And I think actually uh, played really well, but I think was a little overshadowed by Astakio. And I almost felt bad for Kyle Laren um, with you know Alfonso being at home and Davies and uh, Hutchinson breaking the record and everything else. And you know Kyle Laren scored a brace against Mexico and almost feels like he's a bit of a forgotten man. As you mentioned, he, he tied uh, Dwayne de Rosario's record um, for all time goals with twenty two. So um, hopefully that, uh, that record falls in, uh, in January or I guess early February, but, uh, you know, John, Jonathan David's pot in the heels of that as well. So it'll be an interesting internal competition, uh, for that record as well. So many storylines, um, as you mentioned, you know, Atiba breaking the record. I just want to take a bit of stock. I think it might be a good call to do a whole year in review podcast, but, uh, for the last few minutes here, I just want to say, uh, look at the standings. <laughs> how how did this happen? Um, just remember, we were out. We were we had to do that before the circumstances hit. We were out of the hex. We had to would have had to do that repechage tournament to get the fourth place playoff qualifier thing, uh, the playoff for the playoff, and uh, we got thrown this lifeline. We the the tournament the final round expands to eight teams. We power through the qualifying we have to qualify for this final round <laughs> and uh you know and, and against some teams that we thankfully justly demolished this past summer we come into this final round we're eight games in and we have sole possession of first place <laughs> in in CONCACAF world cup qualifying you, you hear the laughter in my voice uh really what you know, in the summer or or at any time, did you did you see this happening, and and what do you what do you look back and see uh, as we sit in first place at the end of the year? Uh, yeah, I, I certainly don't think I saw Canada at the top of the table. Um, you know, the goal is always to qualify for the World Cup, but I think everyone thought um, Canada would contend for that. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, be in the mix to be in the top four. Uh, there's lots of games left, so we'll see what happens. But this top four is starting to separate themselves okay, a little boy. bit, though. There is that <laughs> Panama Costa Rica match coming up, which will um, either pull Costa Rica back into the mix a little bit, or possibly really, you know, separate that top four entirely. But mm-hmm. um, you know, it's 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 crazy to think now as we head to the new year that you know we're in, we're at the very least I think Canada's in a very good position to finish fourth at worst um and you know you might have taken that a year ago but now that would feel like a major disappointment to have to go to the playoffs especially Mm -hmm. now finding out you're gonna have to go to Qatar to play a one-off match which I in June of all things it just that's Mm -hmm. a very scary proposition so um definitely top three is is the goal um but you can't lose sight of you know Mexico has a lot of home matches left Canada only has two Canada has four road matches um so, I mean, you know, it's very tight, one to four. There's nothing nothing settled yet. Uh, there's a lot of work left to do. They're going to need, uh, you know, at least a road win. Um, and I would say certainly a home win as well, and possibly two, depending on how things shake down. We might know better this window because, you know, um, Jamaica and Costa Rica are playing for their lives, and they're going to play off three times with uh, with Panama and Mexico. So, um Ideally, those four teams take take some points off of each other, and that might help uh, Canada solidify its spot. Um, you, know, you got Honduras and El Salvador uh, away, which are tricky trips, but uh, I think it's fair to say they're both 
their 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 World Cup dreams are are if not extinguished, they're hanging by a thread. So I don't think the um, the expectation, the atmosphere, and the the enthusiasm will be the same as it might have been, you know, had they been been road trips that we made in September. So um, there's a lot of work left, but to, to close off the new year, uh, ranked 40th on the FIFA rankings for what those are worth, which I don't think is a whole lot, but still uh, all-time highest ranking is, is tied there now. And to be top of the table, it's it's a great time to be a Canadian fan. And uh, there's certainly a lot of people who've uh, been to a lot of matches and traveled a lot of miles and had a lot of heartbreak with this team. Um, having having a few drinks and some laughs mm-hmm. in Edmonton on Tuesday night and just, you know, you know, look at us. Look, look, at, look at where this team is right now. So um, it's it's exciting. And, I mean, this, it, this is great fun. This is maybe the last true CONCACAF qualifying cycle, like, Obviously, 2026 is going to be completely different with, you know, theoretically three host teams and then the tournament expanding and there's going to be a lot more teams qualifying. There may never be a Hex or an Ocho again or whatever you want to call it. It might, it might be a very different qualifying format. And if, you know, six teams are getting in or whatever it happens to be, you know, that's just a whole different situation in terms of qualifying. So this is sort of the last hurrah for this format that we've seen for the last, you know, 25 years or so. So um, it's, it's, it's fun to be part of, and it's fun to, to have some success. And there's going to be some, some scary moments along the way, but that's kind of part of the fun, right? It's, uh, it's not nerve wracking and making you half crazy. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not football. Yeah. And uh, yeah, glad to see we're, we're making this last four version of this format count. Um, yeah. Exciting times ahead. So uh, hopefully, yes, we're well, looking forward to welcoming Jamie back to the podcast as well. Uh, glad to always pop in, sub in. This has been uh, for many people, for many people, strength podcast. We'll see you again sometime soon. <laughs>